There's only one Doug Warren uh, at the controls. You're kind of looking for that pass back and forth kind of thing. I will never forget that answer. And I'm sitting there and my mouth just bounced off the floor. Uh, Jim Caldwell could have been looking for that instead of Aaron Rodgers throwing that 70-yard moonshot to Richard Rodgers. Still one of the most perplexing coaching decisions. I've ever seen, and, uh, you know, it, it was one of those deals, Doug, when the ball was at about the 20-yard line and just on its downward path, and you just said, he's going to catch it. Yeah. He'd, he'd established such great box-out position. I mean, it looked like Antonio Smith uh, under the basket, and then suddenly, sure enough, he goes up and gets it, and everyone looked at each other like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. We want to go back to our guest line and welcome in a guy who I'm sure remembers that moment and uh, probably going to go into a seizure now that we're talking about it. Uh, Trent Bally, Lions super fan, and also covered uh, Michigan State basketball. And uh, he is a winner, Doug, of the Earl Robinson Memorial Award. An outstanding student broadcaster at Michigan State University. Trent, how are you? Jack, I'm great. I have to admit, it's it's like my favorite time of the year, and you're bringing up Richard Rogers out of nowhere, and it's one of the worst nights of my life. And <laughs> no, I'm Someone kidding. said that. Uh, <laughs> one Lions fan told me the only time I ever wanted to hear the name Richard Rogers again was if it was followed by Oscar Hammerstein. Uh, yeah, I can, I can do it without right? hearing it ever, under any circumstance, ever. <laughs> I'll play it at uh, the end in case you want to stay on the line. We'll play it at the end for you. I just pulled the clip up. <laughs> you play the clip of Dan, and he's like, yeah, yeah. oh. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard it in a long time. I'm going to play it. Oh, great, great. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about this Lions team. Uh, how many times have you been able to get to Ford Field this year? So I went to the first two games, the Eagles and Commanders, because the Lions okay. had that rare uh, yep. double homestand to start the season. And then I actually was able to get back for Thanksgiving against the Bills. And okay. I was able to get back last Sunday for that throttling of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow. So uh, pretty good record. And for those who are not aware, uh, Trent spent some time with us as an intern for this show. He has been a guest on Press Pass on Sunday nights one of our youngest guests, and that's not because we're just trying to reach out to a different demographic. It's because this guy knows what he's talking about. And when you think about the Lions, where they are, you are one of those glasses four-fifths full guys. Uh, Do you think this team has it in it to make a real playoff run? Are we going to be talking uh, Christmas or day before Christmas and then New Year's Day and then the final game of the year at Green Bay, that this is a playoff team? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that my brother Brock and I are making tentative plans to fly down to uh, Carolina on on (laughs) Christmas Eve because we're crazy like that. But, no, in all seriousness, Jack, I mean, this is the first time in a very long time uh, that that the Lions are playing meaningful December football, if you really think about it. Um, Matt Patricia's first season, they went 6-10. and And ever since then, I mean, it's just kind of been – 
climbing up that mountain again. And, and it looks like this is Dan Campbell has this team in position to be the best team since that six and 10 team. Uh, right. And yeah, I do think that they can make the push. It does think that they dug themselves the one and six hole. Cause now yeah. you're at the point in the season, Jack, where you look back and you say, Oh, if they had just kicked that field yeah. goal against the Vikings, or if they had just forced Geno Smith and the Seahawks to punt one time, or right. you, know, right. you, you start to run through those scenarios in your head. And I'm not one of those guys who thinks that Eagles game was super winnable. That game was a yeah. little bit more out of hand than the score indicates, but there's a lot of what ifs at this point. And it sucks that they dug themselves a one and six hole, but the way they're looking right now, Jack, absolutely. They could, they could make the push. <laughs> Doug, the passion you hear from Trent, is not unusual, and for a guy to be making uh, all these Lions games from Grand Rapids is one thing. For a guy to be doing it after having been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and going through all the treatment you have, I guess our regular listeners who know your story don't need a full update, but can you bring us up to speed on how the treatment has gone and for a guy your age, you'd been pretty healthy leading up to this. It seems like there are some real positive signs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just had my sixth chemotherapy treatment on Monday of this week. Uh, I have to do 12 total, so that marks – it's halftime. It's officially halftime, Jack. Every, every <laughs> second that passes, I'm now uh, closer to the end, closer to that final buzzer. But, yes, um, my tumor has shrunk to half its original size. We are making great strides. Everything is awesome. And – the symptoms that I'm dealing with are, uh, they could be a lot worse. Let me just say that. Uh, so my, you yeah. know, my heart goes out to anyone uh, who is fighting cancer. Obviously, my spirit is with them because yeah. a lot of people have it much worse than I do, and I'm just so, so grateful for the support system I've got. I'm grateful to be on this show every now and then, and everything is going uh, according to plan, and I, I just am very, very grateful for that. As a two-time cancer conqueror, I want to welcome you to the club. And uh, I know you're going to be here uh, for a long, long time. And I'm sure that your story will be an inspiration, will be support for other people, especially young people uh, who are afflicted. I want to talk a little bit about Michigan State basketball. Because uh, you followed this team. Uh, You've been involved in the media coverage while you were here. And uh, with impact... What do you make of this team? They start off on the aircraft carrier and nearly stun number two Gonzaga. This is as an unranked team. Nearly get the Zags. And then they go on and beat Kentucky in double overtime. Played pretty well out in Portland. Got two wins there uh, uh, in a ball buster of a tournament. See, number one ranked North Carolina, by the way, trying to play a similar schedule. Lost four in a row. I don't know the... If there's ever been a number one ranked team preseason, it's lost four straight, but Tar Heels have managed to do that. And then just when people are saying, okay, all right, Final Four is back on the schedule, uh, Michigan State goes to Notre Dame, which couldn't get out of its own way previously. Irish beat Michigan State by 18. Then Northwestern rolls in here, beats Michigan State back-to-back. That hadn't happened since 1962, so 60 seasons. And then Michigan State is a betting underdog on the road against Penn State. Uh, A lot of people thought Spartans would go down for a third straight time. I had people telling me, Trent, this is a year. It's not going to make the tournament. I'm ready for it. I think maybe they were maybe stiffened by what happened in football season and the disappointment. 
And then Michigan State plays a, a really strong second half the other night and uh, outscores Penn State 61-42 to uh, the last part of the game. What do you make of this team? There's a lot of inconsistencies, but, Jack, I think there is a lot to like when you really start to build the context here. Um, uh, yeah. You mentioned the schedule was darn near impossible on paper, uh, and it's as, it's as complicated as it gets. And, and, look, when you have a team like this that turns the ball over quite a bit, and I know that's nothing uh, particularly new for these this era of Michigan State basketball, but that, that that's even more of a tall task when you turn the ball over a lot and you play a team like Kentucky or Gonzaga in a tough environment, that kind of thing. So for Michigan State to be where it is right now, um, it's nothing to hang the head on. Uh, I, I definitely don't think – I think things could have gone a lot worse, as you've mentioned. And I guess the reason that I talk about building all the context here is I think you're missing your second or third most important player in Malik Hall right now. Obviously, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, they're hopeful that he's going to be back around December or on Christmas. But I think the biggest takeaway, and this isn't just recency bias, but I, I really like A.J. Hogard's swagger and his uh, – yeah alternative leadership style thus far for him, you know, in his homecoming, I guess you could call it at Penn state to really have a career game. Uh, there, there's, there are bigger problems. The Spartans could have, let's just say that. So if you look on the bright side and you look at the glass hat four fifths full or whatever you call me, Jack, I think, uh, I like what I've seen. Don't love it, but I like what I've seen. I think they, this team has at least proven it can play with anyone in the country. You know, you mentioned Malik Hall, Trent, and, uh, uh, some people I knew who were not big Malik Hall fans, I said, yeah, he's all right. You know, he's not a terrible player, but uh, he's not a championship player. Boy, they sure like him now. Uh, he's gotten better with every game he's been out. And uh, now people are starting to say, you know, God, Malik Hall. If they just had Malik Hall. I think it started with Dick Vitale in the Kentucky game. And when Michigan State was having those two inbounds plays, uh, talk about somebody foreshadowing. Dick Vitale says, they got to get the ball to Malik Hall. they got to get Malik Hall some touches. He's the guy. And sure enough, uh, they have that slip. He comes down for the dunk. And then uh, they have that sideline-to-sideline side pass and then the, the beautiful feed uh, and full stride to, to Tyson Walker. And just before that, Vitale is uh, waxing poetic about the greatness of Malik Hall again. He gets another dunk. So Malik Hall has never played better than when he hasn't played. Yeah, that's, there's no kidding about that. And the Dick Vitale story, is, of course, is hilarious. Uh, I don't think anyone in, in the in the broadcast was a bigger Malik Hall fan than Dick Vitale. But, yeah, neither here nor there. I will say it, it's really his importance is what matters. It's yeah. not necessarily the impact he's going to bring you on the score sheet, but every great Michigan State team, and don't get me wrong, by no means am I going to call this team a great Michigan State team yet. We have yeah. a very far way to go before that starts getting thrown around. But every great Michigan State team, certainly in my lifetime, has had that glue guy. And obviously the Draymond Greens of the world, those are some anomalies. You don't even have to go to the Xavier Tillmans or the Draymond Greens. I'm talking about even just a Kyle Orange, someone who does something, yeah. does the little things right, is going to run the play, is going to have everyone in position, and – you, they've missed that quite a bit, is all I'm saying. Uh, I get it. When you look at the Big Ten thus far, and you see Maryland, uh, what it has done, good and bad. You see Illinois, uh, Indiana, teams that have had trouble. Uh, Michigan, uh, same way. I came back last night and, 
and completely smashed Minnesota uh, in Minneapolis. When you look at this, who's a favorite in the Big Ten? I think it it has to be Purdue for now, um, and, and and obviously that's the that's the easy way out just to say the nine and zero team is the best team in the conference. But if you look at the way they play, um, they're not missing Jaden Ivy as much as I thought in the short going. Um, but look, this is a this is a conference that everyone kind of thought it would be a down year for the Big Ten. I'm not really sure if that's the case. Northwestern, you're talking about a team that was maybe maybe going to finish last, maybe second to last in this conference. They've already upset mm-hmm. Michigan State on the road. That's a great tournament yeah. resume builder if we can even have that conversation at any point this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't really think it's necessarily a down year like people want to say. I know Indiana's on a bit of a slide here. Um, or you know, Started the season, I guess, with more flair, I guess you could say. I'm a big Mike Woodson fan, by the way. But uh, I would have to say it's Purdue right now. But as you well know, Jack, covering this sport forever and, and this conference forever – it's 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 way too early to tell and get too excited about what 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 a nine and zero Purdue squad is doing at West Lafayette. All right, let's say you're Tom Izzo, and besides cashing checks, uh, you have playing Purdue for Big Ten championship, and you have to stop Zach Eady. How do you do that? Well, that's a tall task, no pun intended, and it's especially because <laughs> you look at this Michigan State team, and that's one of the, I don't want to call it a hole, but Monty Sissoko started the season great and then has kind of come back to form, regressed to the mean a little bit. I definitely think he has improved a lot since uh, his sophomore season. But Jackson Kohler, they tried to throw him to the fire a little bit. You saw some great signs against Penn State, but then again, it's just the fatigue might catch up with the freshman a little bit. Sure. Same can be said about Carson Cooper. So uh, this Michigan State team lacks a little bit of, I don't, I don't want to call them soft in the middle because I do not think those are soft players whatsoever. But I think the way you would have to stop Edie is you'd have to – kind of the way that the Spartans tried to stop guys like Kofi Culver in the last couple of years. You just throw the kitchen sink yeah. at them. You use your depth. You use that uh, – Joey Howell's not, not an exceptional defensive player, but you throw him at uh, a guy like Edie a little bit. You throw Sissoko on him. You throw Cooper at him. You throw Kohler at him. Yeah. You can throw Malik Hall at him when you're playing a little small ball. You just spice things up and really make him uncomfortable. Well, when you think about Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, Trent, and he's seven foot one and all of that, and let's say 255 pounds, and he stands next to the Michigan State Centers, and they look like his children. And right. then you think that Zach Eady is three inches taller than Dickinson and 45 pounds heavier, and now he's a basketball player. He's not just a big athlete. He's a guy who can pass out of double teams. Uh, he's a guy who can make a move without drawing an offensive foul. Uh, he's become a pretty good offensive force in this league. He's not a premier shot blocker yet, but, you know, good luck shooting over him. So when you think about Purdue, would you take the Boilermakers, your choice to win, or would you take the field? Ooh. See, and that's where I would definitely – I will take the field, and that's where I fall into the – just as a basketball fan, as a Big Ten fan, we've seen this conference get so jumbled up, especially as it gets closer to February and March, and there's multiple people. You know, we've seen, Jack, in recent years, the three teams share the Big Ten regular season title. So um, I will definitely take the field, but that's a really fun question. And you talk about Zach Eady. He definitely has made strides as a basketball player. You're right. He's not just size anymore out there. 
Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was a hockey player for a while or something. So he's he's got the athleticism, I guess, but he's he's definitely becoming more of a solid basketball player even from last year. And I, I guess you could say that the ceiling, the Purdue ceiling, relies on him, and that's a pretty tall ceiling. So there you go. <laughs> All right, a couple quick predictions, Trent, before we let you go. Uh, the Big Ten standings: Michigan State finishes where? Whew, that's a tough one. So right now, Michigan State has one loss in the conference. They get they get to have a little bit of a short. I I, I don't know what you what you would call it. Maybe a get right month here, a get right stretch of a few games before they uh, really enter back into the heart of the heart of the beast here. I'm going to say Michigan State finishes in the top five in the conference. That's that's a lock, and I'm going to say. Okay. I'll say they finished third behind Purdue and Indiana. The Detroit Lions' final regular season record is? Oh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I Before the season started. Why yeah, we're asking you? And, well, I had them at 10-7 and seven before the season started, and obviously that was a yeah. little tongue-in-cheek. I have to, I have to, you know, live up to the to the hype a little bit. But I think and you could be right. I, well, I, I, it's attainable. It's definitely attainable, but I yeah. think – you know, obviously, for those who don't know, that would mean they have to win out. Um, right. And Jack, you know, we had a conversation a uh, month ago or so, maybe, about will the Lions be favored again this season? And it's <laughs> funny how things have kind of turned because I think the Lions yeah. are going to be favored in every game this season. We'll see yeah. what it looks like against the Jets on the road and Packers on the road and whatnot. But the Lions will certainly be favored in a few more games this season. I'm going to say they finish nine and eight. All right, nine and eight. That means. They go four and one the rest of the way. And which one do they lose? I don't want to say Packers week eight, week eighteen just out of spite, but I think that's a tough that's a tough place to play. And to say you'd go two and zero against the Green Bay Packers in the season, I don't know when the last time the Detroit Lions did that. So I'll say week eighteen they lose. And I hope Jack, I really hope that's not a deal breaker for this team and their playoff hopes or whatnot, because there's nowhere I want to play left than Lambeau Field with everything on the line. Hey, Doug, I'm wondering if that is the challenge uh, in week 18 and Green Bay is out of this. Uh, is that Aaron Rodgers' last game in Lambeau Field? <laughs> uh, might be. Yeah. He's not playing very well, and I think they're kind of all ready to move on from each other. It just kind of seems like it's trending that way. Um, look, the way the Lions are playing right now, they can beat anybody. So let's just enjoy this as long as we can this season. Uh, I mean, they've, they're they're ahead of schedule. I think we can all agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's just enjoy this. This is as good a team, Jack, and a youthful team as I've yeah. seen in 30 years. All right. Uh, Trent Valley, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you didn't know that you were going to get Rory, the Lions mascot, as our producer today. Uh, we don't normally get Doug this optimistic. So, Doug, just to show that all is right with the world and the Lions are still the Lions, can you send us out with this segment with that play from Rodgers to Rodgers? Yep. Out of the gun. He's back. They need 61 yards and a touchdown. Rodgers rolling to his left. Being chased, slips the tackle. Rodgers is stepping up and lofting it deep down the field into the end zone. It is up and it is caught. Caught by the Packers, Richard Rodgers for a touchdown. Oh, no. On 
Unbelievable. Rodgers on the final play of the game slipped inside of all the defenders in the end zone and made the catch for the score. 61 yards, and the Lions have lost.